0: Eighteen twenty, she ran a fossil store. She put the bones together for the colors. And science was the province of men of noble birth. But I take Mary Annie over those
1: stuff
0: white shirts. Welcome to Stampatown, welcome back, episode twenty one. <laughs> Yeah. The golden age. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we just spent so long oh. figuring out input, output, microphone, stereo. We are sticking to biology. Yeah, for sure. And we will today. We will? With this lady. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. Um, But anyway, this is your... Well, first, you know, this is your Women in Science History podcast, in case you're just tuning in for the first time. Yeah, you just
1: randomly chose us. And, and I'm, we're honored.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm honored, and I'm also a dilemma, Emma Dilemma.
1: Okay. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to say who I am. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm Emlyn Gremlin. Like gremlins. Yeah. Spooky Halloween gremlins. We did spooky. that last month. yeah. This is our second spooky... So spooky. <laughs> And are you ready for the spookiest riddle of all time? Ooh, a riddle. I am, I am, I am. Okay, Emlyn. If you were a sentient house made of wood, <laughs> what is the scariest thing you could imagine? If I was a sentient house made of wood. That's important here. Made of wood. What's the spookiest critter you could ever uh, see? Or Oh,
1: oh, I would think
0: termites.
1: <gasps> you're right. <laughs> because they would eat me alive and poop me out and then others would eat me.
0: Yeah, exactly. Termites, <laughs> yes, you're correct. We didn't plan this. I guess maybe what else could pot- potentially be spooky to a wooden house well, besides Well, I thought you fire. were just meaning like what could a wooden house see? Like uh,
1: what no, could people no. do in that house that would oh, upset that? I was <laughs> so like, we I don't think this is a good question. Ew. So many things. Right, right, um, but That's, termites is a better. Yeah, yeah, yeah termites. I
0: <laughs> yeah, I should have said what is the scariest animal you yeah. can imagine? <laughs> it was a little too open ended. <laughs> well, great, ooh, termites, spooky <laughs> Halloween critters. <laughs> mm. I love it. Okay, today, and why do I bring up termites, might you ask? I, why? <laughs> you didn't ask, but <laughs> you might have asked that. Well, today, I'm going to tell you about an incredible woman who was not scared of termites. <laughs> <laughs> Did She She didn't even work
1: on them. She just once had no. an interaction with termites and was like, it's fine. She's just not scared of She's them. She's just not scared
0: of them. Okay, well, her name <laughs> is Margaret James Strickland Collins. It's long. Um, and also known as the termite lady. Ooh. And the first female African American entomologist. Oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah nice. Okay. Um, wait, what was her name again? Oh, it's long. I Margaret know. James Strickland Collins.
1: I was trying to see if it made an acronym, but it does not or no, a d- i mean
0: there's no ac- vowels <laughs> yeah what's an acronym doesn't matter an acronym is just like the letters a a a s or something yeah. right i was hoping USA. it would spell out
1: a word that would be fun
0: and funny but it, it does spells work. out magisk <laughs> so magic kind of That's the magisk of the story you know majestic oh majestic. anyway <laughs> Are you ready to hear about her? I'm ready to hear about this Hermite lady. So here we go. All right. Margaret Collins was born Margaret James on September 4th, 1922 in Institute, West Virginia. So the town itself had a predominantly African-American population at the time, in large part due to the presence of the historically black college, West Virginia State College. Did you say the town was called Institute? Yeah. It's I not know. Very it's kind homely. of an odd name. Yeah, Homey name. Right. It is kind of weird. Yeah. But Continue. Yeah. It's a place. All right. I love it. <laughs> Sorry for those Institute folks listening yeah. in today. She was the fourth of five children. Her father, Rollins James, had a bachelor's degree and a master's degree and taught vocational agriculture at West Virginia State. Cool. And her mother, Luella Bowling James, had studied to be an archaeologist, mm. but as um, an African-American woman in the early 1900s was limited in how far she could go in her education and career. Yeah. So by the time Margaret was born, her mother's main job was taking care of the children, but she would often take them on adventures like in the woods and forests near their house. Nice. And like... They would all look for critters or bugs or rocks, you know. They were all kind of interested in that Outdoorsy. sort of natural, yeah. Nice stuff. So along with these forest adventures, Margaret loved learning and reading. Mm-hmm. So at age six, she was given permission to check out any book she could reach. From the West Virginia State Library. Nice. So I get, I mean, it was the, the college library, but I think they were just like, oh, this cute little girl wants to learn to read. Like, yeah. sure. Yeah. What if there was no books? Like, they were
1: all top only top shelf. <laughs> they, and it was empty. Book. What
0: if they just moved everything to the top <laughs> shelf? <laughs> like, you can't have the books. <laughs> that would be horrible. Yeah, It's not um, funny. It's not. Okay. And she says that her love of science came from reading about scientists and adventures and all the books that she found. Nice. And when she would bring things home from the forest, her parents would encourage her to look them up in a book and identify them. So really just getting that natural history, yeah. whatever, like going right away, yeah. I guess, that hobby. People in her neighborhood, too, would give her books to read or let her come over to read books in their libraries. Um, And because of her advanced reading skills, she skipped two grades in elementary school and spent the rest of her school years as the youngest person in all of her classes. Oh, that's rough. Which she says, like, maybe emotionally stunted her, but, like, kind of might have given her her independent Mm -hmm. streak that, like, carried her on later in life. And in 1937, she graduated high school at the age of 14. Oh, boy. and enrolled that same year in West Virginia State College on an academic scholarship. 14 in college, right. Is a very that's unfortunately really intense. Yeah,
1: you can't do. You're going to graduate, and you're still going to be underage.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Not that that's everybody's top concern. That but is really weird.
0: Yeah. that seems very young even if she skipped two grades yeah Ah. so she was really 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 smart and bright student but college was originally difficult for her her first biology teacher she says wasn't very engaging and like sometimes you could just have a bad teacher you know, that maybe ruins things for you. I don't know. Yeah. And although she had started school on a scholarship, her grades suffered a bit that first year and she lost her scholarship and some of her interest in the sciences. To pay for school, she started working summers as a maid or as a household helper. However, she would still spend her free time looking for animals at the river. And one day she found something that she had never seen before, and took it to a professor at her school, Dr. Toy Davis. And he helped her send the samples to the lab, the Moat Marine Lab. Oh, nice. Know? Yeah, yeah. And while also setting her up with some microscopes and taxonomic keys to try to figure it out on her own. And soon after this, after seeing like her passion for just finding things yeah. and figuring out what they are, he hired her as a lab assistant for $10 a month. And helped her get her scholarship back.
1: I'm guessing ten dollars a month was something. Back it then. was anything at yeah. least.
0: <laughs> I don't think it was a lot yeah. still though. But she got her scholarship okay. back at least. Nice. At the same time, World War II refugees from Europe were looking for jobs in the U.S. and West Virginia State hired a German teacher from Vienna, Frederick Lenner, and his classes were not super well attended. He was the only white professor at her university. Huh. And she wanted to take classes with him be- for that reason, which is kind of odd. Yeah. So she just started taking German because she was like, who is this guy? Wait. So he didn't speak English? He was from Vienna. Uh-huh. And he left Vienna because of World War. Because he was Jewish and was fleeing the Nazis. And they hired him to speak German. Uh, to teach German at oh, their school. Oh, he was a German teacher, okay. Yeah. And she was like, this is so weird. I want to take his classes. <laughs> <laughs> and it ended up working out for her, though, because when her mentor, Toy Davis, was drafted into the U.S. Army, he could no longer mentor her. Mm-hmm. And, but he asked Leonard to take over as her mentor. So then she has yeah. a German professor who's mentoring her in uh in german actually yeah but i think he was not in natural history no (laughs) i think he just wanted someone at the university who was like looking out for her essentially okay um around the same time she married bernard strickland a pre-med student at howard university but he was also drafted soon after sad yeah so her mentor and her husband left but under Leonard's mentorship, she completed her degree in nineteen forty-three. Um, with any with a major in biology with minors in physics and German. Diverse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but German is like the entomologist's other language. Yeah. So that's true. it actually kinda works out. After college she anticipated starting a career collecting specimens for biological supply houses. Like she is was there just, a market in that? I I yeah, I've never heard of that, but I don't know. I guess like you could order bugs to study hmm. from places mm-hmm. or something. For Halloween parties, for yeah. haunted houses. <laughs> oh right. Spooky. This
1: is sp- <laughs> spooky <ooh>, ghosts. Okay. <laughs> Termites. Yeah, we haven't even gotten there yet,
0: but we're close. Oh, they're they're on their way. <laughs> Because she wanted to start a career collecting specimens for biological supply houses, she decided that she wanted to take a couple classes in field zoology and ecology just so she could have more experience Mm -hmm. identifying things. Nice. And so she enrolled in a few graduate courses at the University of Chicago. Oh. Yeah. On the first day of registration, however, she met Alfred Emerson, the grandson of Ralph Waldo Emerson, oh, um, and famous termite biologist who maintained the largest termite collection at the time, and during this orientation, he was just like, "Oh, you like bugs? You should just enroll full time as a grad student, okay, and not do that other thing you're planning to do." <laughs> so I don't know. He just was like, "Yeah, you should." I don't know. Come Come. take all the classes here. Come hither. So she did that and she ended up taking his course, which I'm guessing was some kind of entomology course. And she loved like, she loved the course. She loved learning about animals and she loved going on field trips. Mm -hmm. Um, However, she was quite poor that first year in school. She had a stipend of $125 a month from the state of West Virginia And an allotment of money from her husband, who is still in the military. But after tuition and rent, she can only afford about 10 meals a week. Which is not enough. (laughs) No. So, when Alfred Emerson learned of her financial struggle, he offered her an assistantship in which she would get paid to look after the termite collection. Mm, Nice. Yeah. This is where... She gets into termites. Obviously, <laughs> I meant to say that creepier, but it just doesn't. I don't even think termites are that creepy. No, unless they're I, destroying was, your
1: house. Yeah, that is creep. That is a, the most frightening thing. You should. You should have yeah. said what as a home a new homeowner could be the. <laughs> worst
0: thing to oh, find oh you're out. right yeah not my I mean, my riddle um as a sentient <laughs> house what would scare you the most <laughs> <Also> <laughs> wasn't <good>. very clear <laughs> no very good i loved it i made that one up by myself uh,
1: <laughs> brava isn't that great yeah.
0: okay so he started paying her when World War II ended, however, her husband returned to Howard University to keep going to med school, yeah. and that military funding that she was getting ended. Mm-hmm. So she lost another source of, of money, and she had to get, give up going to school full time because she no- couldn't afford it anymore, yeah. and her husband wasn't making any money going to med school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she moved back to DC and taught uh she obtained this is nineteen forty seven, she obtained an instructor position at Howard. Okay, nice. But she would go back to Chicago each summer to work on her dissertation. When she would return to Howard, she would work on her dissertation. She read every book in Alfred Emerson's library. Oh, She's man. still an avid reader. Yeah. I'm sure and, a lot of those were from Waldo himself. <laughs> yeah, right. And um, she read a book that Alfred had co-authored, actually called "Termite City" or something similar, <laughs> in which he detailed his first trips to Cartabo, uh, Guyana. Okay. And she really wanted to join him on those field trips, but he did not think women should go to the field at that time. Uh, I guess later he changed his mind. Uh-huh. But at that time, he said that women in the t- field were troublesome. So he did not think that cool. she should join him.
1: <laughs> not that other people are troublesome right. to or women. cause
0: trouble. Yeah. He thought the women were the ones causing trouble. So instead, she just stayed in Chicago and completed her thesis on the specimens already in Emerson's collection. Yeah. She finally received her PhD in zoology in either nineteen forty nine or nineteen fifty. It was titled Differences in Toleration of Drying Among Species of Termites or in the genus name as Reticulatermes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. For so for her dissertation she studied essentially how quickly different species and reproductive casts of termites dried out. Mm-hmm. So she would like place them in a drying apparatus and see how long <laughs> it took them to die,
1: essentially. Uh, that, is, that is spooky. Yeah, it is kind
0: of disgusting and spooky. And she found that reproductive individuals were the most resistant to drying out across species and that variation in resistance to desiccation across species was best predicted by their distribution patterns.
1: Okay,
0: And the Smithsonian says that this dissertation made Margaret the first African-American female to receive a PhD in entomological research and the third to receive a PhD in zoology. So we talked about Roger Young. Was she the first? Yeah. And then the second is... Lillian Burwell Lewis, but I haven't looked her up yet. But okay. I figure we could just do her another I'm talk sure about her another podcast. I'm sure, we will. <laughs> okay. So
1: also, your shirt—I don't know what your shirt actually says. It just says "ass." Oh, it says stained glass. Yeah, it's—it said "and ain't ass"
0: because it and was ass." It was because I have covered. a another shirt yeah. on. Yeah, listeners, don't worry. It's a very appropriate shirt. Listeners, you should also listen to stained glass. <laughs> <laughs> it's one up. Ep- no, it's now it's two episodes of the podcast. You talking, you two to me. <laughs> it's really, it's a lot of explanation. Okay, after graduate. Okay, after she got her PhD, so she was still teaching at Howard during most of the year, but she, um, she went to. Howard full-time and got promoted to assistant professor. Oh, nice. At Howard. Where her husband was still completing medical school. He's got Come on,
1: I man. <laughs> no, he went to war.
0: I mean, he was in war. Yeah, I don't know. A- There's not a lot about him except that he seemed to be continually completing <laughs> medical school. Um, she felt that Howard would not promote her though because she was a woman. Hmm. And they told her it was because she was too young, Um, but she had been working there for almost 10 years at that point. Yeah. And so, and she mentions that Ernst just and his legacy at Howard. So he had died a few, like during her PhD sometime. And if... Uh, listeners dedicated listeners might remember Ernst <laughs> just as the an advisor and kind of terrible advisor to roger arlen or young but he died a few years earlier and she said that the department reflected his elitist attitudes mm. and his focus she didn't like how focused the department was on medical research which she said was due to his influence gotcha. in the department too like, she just wanted to study bugs and didn't want to and make them... he just them. wouldn't let her. Yeah, he just would not. <laughs> How long can we keep that joke going? And she said the president of Howard was super chauvinistic and told her that she shouldn't wear trousers. And she was like, I go do field work and I'm not going to wear a skirt in the field. Yeah. So, F you, dude. <laughs> That's <laughs> like exactly quote? what she said. Yeah. Actually, what she said was much wittier, but I didn't write the quote down. Yeah, that's fair. And anyway, so given all this, (laughs) she eventually divorced her husband and took a full professor position at Florida A&M in 1951, and a couple years later became chair of that same department. Oh, cool. So I don't really know. So I guess at this time she was Margaret Strickland, Mm -hmm. and... I don't know why she divorced her husband. He's Because he was still, taking, <laughs> he's he's still in medical school. Perpetual <laughs> med student, I guess. Who knows? Maybe he just um, had a preference for his career over hers. Yeah. I'm not sure. Maybe she didn't want to do long distance. We, I have no idea. We could keep guessing. Yeah, let's guess. Maybe he... Um, no, He
1: just slept with oranges... Under him, and he would wake up and it would be orange juice. And she was like, I can't live like this.
0: Maybe he was a ghost. <laughs> oh, that's kind of sad if oh. he was a war. Yeah, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. However, soon after she moved to Florida, Margaret remarried <laughs> to Herbert Collins. And she had two sons. So hence the long name, Margaret gotcha. James Strickland Collins. Gotcha. She kept all the names.
1: I love it. Just keep adding them on. Yeah. It's and, like a, a wizard
0: yeah. staff. Husbands. Oh, like the beer game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, wizard staffs in lore don't actually stack up like that, do they? Why is that game... You know not never because you're you're, you're making, making a wizard staff. staff. Yeah. You're not
1: adding multiple staffs together to make a very thick staff. That's <laughs> <disgusting>. <laughs> as soon as I said that, <laughs> your face wrinkled. But wizards are spooky. Wizards are spooky. Scary.
0: <laughs> spooky. Happy. Magic. Um. <laughs> I I keep losing my spot because I have to like look down. Okay. She would often take her family with her on... So now she's in Florida, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> she's remarried Herbert Collins. She I'm with She has two sons. Yep. They go on termite collecting trips in Everglades National Park, which nice. sounds really fun. Yeah.
1: I want to do that. And... Pre-Python.
0: Uh, oh, I would definitely do a pre-Python. I'm not sure I would do post-Python. Yeah. That sounds terrifying. Mm-hmm. Terrifying <laughs> python. Okay, and this is, I think, the time period in which she discovered, um, I swallow away from the in which she discovered the Florida dampwood termite, ooh, <laughs> Neotermes uh, but I don't know if it is or not. I. I don't know. She discovered the Florida dampwood termite. This is the only time period she was in Florida. Maybe she went back later. I think your inference is spot on. Thanks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: However, it wasn't the most productive time period in her career. So just to put this in a historical place, um, you know, World War II has ended and this is the early 50s, late 50s. So when the civil rights movement started mm-hmm. uh, taking action or more action and she became heavily involved in the civil rights movement. So, for example, when the Florida a and Student Council called for a bus boycott in Tallahassee because buses were still segregated. She volunteered to drive boycotters without cars to and from the university every day, which often resulted in her being followed by police and the FBI. For carpooling? Yeah. I mean, it's insane that they're just not even allowed to boycott. Like, what do you want? Uh, Anyway, that bus company did eventually go out of business due to the boycott. So... Um, and she also, of course, you know, probably experienced racism in all its terrible forms every day. Yeah, and for example, in a major way, when she was invited to give a lecture at a predominantly white university in the area, before the lecture, the school received a bomb threat regarding her visit, like saying they would bomb that department if they let her speak there.
1: What is wrong? Which is just
0: like. Just be cool. Like, why do you even care? <laughs> it doesn't uh, affect so you stupid. in any way. Yeah. So they canceled her lecture <sighs> due to the bomb, bomb threats. Threat. Yeah.
1: I mean, I actually I don't have any opinion on
0: giving. It I the don't bomb know threats. what I would have done, but it's also in- insane. Yeah. Um. And after a few years, she decided she needed to take some time away from Florida A and M. They had actually been really supportive of her and supportive of her role in the civil rights movement, but she felt like her science was hurting because she had all this teaching and administrative duties, and as well as taking care of her family and trying to do her research. It was all too much. Yeah. So. She, in 1961, received a, long, a year-long grant from the NSF, or National Science Foundation, nice. to work on North American termites with Glenn Richards at the University of Minnesota. So she took a brief leave of absence from Florida A&M yeah. to just basically a sabbatical to go work with him. And while there, she continued her study of desiccation rates in termites but with new species she hadn't studied before. And at some point while she was there, she was severely injured in a lab accident. Oh no. That where a bunch of harsh acid was released into the lab or something. I thought she just like slowly dried. (laughs) No. (laughs) She just accidentally got caught in her termites (laughs) things or whatever. No. No,
1: that's not good.
0: And I guess she says this permanently damaged her lungs. Just in the sense, it seems, though, that she couldn't be around smokers. Like, it would just aggravate whatever condition that caused. Like, a cough, maybe, or something like that. That sucks. She returned to Florida A&M in 1962, but then left in 1963 after divorcing her second husband. And she returned to Washington, D.C. where she became a full professor in the zoology department at Howard. Okay. And a tenured professor at Federal City College. So and her first had husband finished medical school at Howard. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. I um, Maybe he had and maybe that's why she was like, I'm ready. I'm ready. And if you give me a full professor position. Yeah. And at this time she began applying for funding to travel and do more field work. Nice. And she began, began applying for funding to reopen her advisor's old field station in Cartabo, Guyana. Uh, Guiana. Oh, cool. So the one she wasn't even allowed to go to, yeah. she wanted to go to, and she was willing to get funding for it, to reopen it after it had closed, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so first, she received various grants to travel to western Mexico and the Sonoran Desert in Arizona, where she studied thermal tolerance of termites. And finally, around 1975, she made formal contact with the government of Guyana, Guyana and in December 1977, she traveled there to address their conservation society and make her case for reopening the station. Very cool. Like she was really dedicated yeah. to that in particular. In ni- she was going to go to that. Yeah, field station. she wanted to. Yeah, <laughs> I cannot hold her back. I, I will reopen it. I I know that she wa- had a lifelong friendship with Alfred Emerson. Uh huh. And I don't know how, if he was still alive at this point and helping her mm-hmm. or how that worked out. I also know that uh, Guyana went from being a part of the British Empire when she was in grad school to not by this time. Hmm. So that might have affected everyone's relations with them. I don't yeah. Know. In 1978, she received official spon- sponsorship from the Guyanese government and army, and she began rebuilding the station in 1979. So she's in her mid-50s now, and she's finally getting to go to that field station. Nice. It took her a little while. Uh, yeah. And throughout this time, she continued fighting for her rights and for support and space for minorities in the sciences. For instance, in 1977, she wrote a letter to Science Magazine in which she lambasted the American Association for the Advancement of Sciences, AAAS, for nominating a terrible scientist to be a fellow. Like, this guy had done a bunch of studies about IQs of different Mm -hmm. races and claimed that the differences he found were due to genetic differences between different races, basically, Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, he was a 70s eugenicist, you know, so the beliefs were less like less Hitler-esque. Yeah. But it fed into racist ideologies that there are inherent differences in races that um, make one race superior to the other essentially, which is incorrect and like has been debunked thoroughly, but people will still cite these studies, which is horrible. And she and a lot of other scientists wrote in to science magazine like, what are you telling minority sciences by making this man a fellow? Oh, of- for sure. Yeah. And she organized a symposium at the 1982 AAAS meeting on the science and question of human equality in which she and a few other scientists, and I'm guessing like whoever would went to that symposium discuss the lack of credibility behind scientific racism and the responsibility scientists have in debunking those beliefs and claims mm-hmm. and then strategies for moving forward to debunk those claims.
1: That's very cool. I mean, yeah. it's making me think of, like, if right now they made, I forget what his name is, but the person who did the study of vaccines and autism that one study that's been debunked right. like a billion times if they put him in the academy
0: right i mean they wouldn't no but it's more like if they had put him in the academy before he had his medical license revealed yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and a bunch yeah. of scientists were like i don't believe this study but that one thing with the law firms hadn't come out yet yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. andrew wakefield ugh. oh is that what his name yeah. is yeah he's He's as bad as this guy, but this guy's science wasn't quite as forged as his science. Like this science, the claims this guy made from his studies were preposterous, Mm -hmm. but the studies themselves, like he didn't fake the data. There was just no evidence genetics was involved in anything basically. Yeah. And the sample sizes weren't great and it was just really biased. Trying to make strong claims from, like, weak, inconclusive right, evidence. Right, yeah, which is, like, things that they talked about at this symposium and, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, um, so she was constantly fighting for minorities in her personal and professional life, like, throughout her whole c- career, basically, while also just being really into termites. Yeah. So back to termites. <laughs> um, so... The station was finally done. Like they finally built the station Mm -hmm. in in Guyana. And after that, she and her team of researchers visited it every summer. So she um, would stay at Howard in the school year and then go to the field station in the summer. When they visited Guyana in the summers, they would spend most of their time collecting but they would also spend a good part of their time teaching the Guyanese army about termites. Okay. And for instance, they would teach the army how to build um, houses and other things in a way that would minimize termite damage. And they would teach them how to use termite waste products to strengthen their concrete and other building materials, which cool. I didn't even know you could do. So that's cool. They also traveled to... A lot of other tropical places like Belize, Dominica, the Cayman Islands, Suriname, Bahamas, Costa Rica, British Virgin Islands. I'm like, nice. that's amazing. Yeah. It sounds really fun.
1: When she was like 60? Yeah. Nice. It's a good it's, time to start. It's she, never too late. Yeah.
0: I think she was just like, I've had kids. I'm not married. Like, I can finally just do what I want. No one's holding me back or telling me I can't do this or that. Yeah. I'm going to go wherever I want to go and study all the termites I want to (laughs) study. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. And when she was back at Howard during the school year, she collaborated with Glenn Prestwich in the study of defense chemicals produced by termites. So that stuff is really cool, too. Nice. At the age of 61 in 1983, she retired from Howard but accepted an unpaid position as a research associate with the Smithsonian's Natural History Museum. Oh, nice. So with that, she could continue her fieldwork and her termite research. But during the four years where she was taking this team of researchers kind of all over the tropics, Margaret and her team collected almost 13,000 insect specimens in addition to taking tons of notes on the natural history of tropical plants, insects, insects that parasitize other animals, just everything they saw, basically. And all of these notes, I think the Smithsonian has all of them now, which is great. And they have a ton of specimens, too. And yeah, they found new species and weird fleas and bird <laughs> parasites. Like, I don't know. Some of the notes are interesting. The ones that are online, at least. But the trips weren't easy from letters between her and her crew. It seems like they were often sick and had to eat a lot of odd things like curassows, which are like those weird birds with head. Oh. Yeah. They're like <laughs> these huge birds. Yeah. And piranhas all right yeah and one it also said they ate half a tiger Excuse but i'm me? like where did you get half a tiger in the americas
1: seems not great. yeah
0: like maybe a zoo or something that's <laughs> just weird, got this right? half
1: a tiger here
0: during a trip to guyana in 1984 she contracted dengue fever mm-hmm. and after that could not return to the field for a while due yeah. to like dengue can cause a lot of health issues later on
1: isn't it if you you get dengue once shame on you yeah you get... <laughs> no it's like if you get dengue two different strains of dengue it's really bad is that
0: yeah it's like if you get dengue once you'll probably get a fever and um you'll feel like really terrible flu-like symptoms but if you get it more than once it be- can become hemorrhagic oh, so okay. you actually start like bleeding yeah. out and yeah. that's nope, nope, what nope. can kill you yeah, that seems bad i don't think she was hemorrhagic but i have heard from other people who've had dengue that it can cause like symptoms for a really long mm-hmm. time period of just feeling really tired or achy just really long lasting uh symptoms that aren't fun to deal with yeah no they don't sound fun so During that time period where she couldn't go into the field, she worked on updating and preserving the Smithsonian's termite collection, including a lot of things she had collected. Mm -hmm. And now all the termites she collected are part of the Collins collection at the Smithsonian. And she also has a separate reference collection in Guyana. Nice. In 1944, after she was fully recovered from dengue, so like 10 years... 1994. Okay. So ten years after she got it, gotcha. she she finally went back to the field. Okay, and she was in her seventies. Yeah, yeah. She returned to Guyana with the new Smithsonian researcher Matthew Kane, who was interested in the gut microbes of termites. Oh, and during this trip, she r- discovered another species of termite and got Every you know trip you gotta. she got the bug for going into the <laughs> field again. <laughs> right yeah okay and that same year she also started working on an invasive species in the cayman islands that she discovered could eat a larger variety of wood types than the native species Hmm. and was like destroying homes everywhere she began collaborating with researchers to develop a non-toxic control plan for these termites However, in 1996, she passed away on little Cayman Island while researching the effects of ocean currents on termite distribution. Wow! But she was doing what she loved and everyone said that being in the field is what made her happiest. So it sort of made sense and in a weird way. And I think she was 74. Wow. Yeah. And so that's Margaret James Strickland Collins, (laughs) the termite lady. I have never heard of her, but she's awesome. Me either. Yeah. I'm like, why isn't this? I mean, as someone who has studied social insects and been to like social insect conferences, I'm just like, why is this name not, I don't know, bandied about more, I guess. That's amazing. But I guess, I'm guessing if you study termites, you would definitely know about her but I don't know about everyone who studies fish, like every famous fish biologist. Yeah. So anyway, but she's really cool and she's led a pretty interesting yeah. life. So, yeah.
1: That's awesome. I yeah. love it. Cool. Yeah. All right. This is our Women Who Work section. Wow. Where we talk about badass ladies making herstory. Nice.
0: That's the first time you've ever know, done I, it. I, you don't like I it. I do like it.
1: Today. Okay, so for some people, I have something very scary that's coming up. Okay. Besides Halloween, it's... What? <laughs> the election? <laughs> election day. Oh, wow, it is the election. It is the election. We are great on guessing today. Yeah. So, uh, at least in Texas, this is the first week of early voting. Yeah. And I think this is the case in a lot of states. True. So, my shout-out goes to the female scientists who are on ballots across the country. That's so cool! So, I'm just gonna shout-out four names. None of them are in Texas, so we can't vote for them, but if I could, I would. Me too. So, yeah, I just want to highlight a few, and this is quick. I just want to let you know about them. So, the first is Edie Hardcastle, and she's a Democrat running for state senate District 49 in Indiana.
0: Yeah, go Edie!
1: And she's an associate professor of biology at the University of Southern Indiana who focuses on plants. So she's a plant biologist. Cool, that's yeah. awesome. The next one is uh, Jasmine Clark, who's a Democrat running for Georgia House of Representatives 108th District. Woo! And she received her Ph.D. in microbiology and molecular genetics in 2013 from Emory University and is a microbiology instructor at Georgia State University. Wow. That's a lot. Elaine Luria is a Democrat running for Virginia's second congressional district in the U.S. House of Representatives. Yeah, Elaine! Elaine! Luria is a former nuclear engineer and U.S. Navy commander who was deployed around the world for 20 years operating (gasps) nuclear reactors and overseeing complex weapons systems. Holy shit. Uh, Luria (laughs) became... impressive. Yeah. She became one of the first women to attend the U.S. Naval Nuclear Power School and got her master's in engineering management from Old Dominion University. Whoa. And then finally, uh, Jackie Rosen is currently a U.S. representative for Nevada's 3rd Congressional District. Oh, Cool. And she is the Democratic nominee for the U.S. Senate oh. in Nevada. Oh, wow. Uh, and she's broken barriers as a successful computer programmer in the male-dominated tech industry, yeah. working for major companies in Nevada, including a bunch of them I won't talk about. Um, and she's also doing a lot of stuff to empower women in STEM. Aww, um, so she's a awesome. lot of bills on as a U.S. representative for providing more funding for women in stem that is really cool yeah so i wow. just if you're in any of these places list the states again indiana georgia virginia and nevada okay if you're in any of those states go Look vote go vote anyways but yeah go vote for these ladies <laughs>
0: oh that's we need, exciting we need women
1: scientists in yeah power.
0: totally Hey, good luck, gals! Yeah, good luck, gals. Good going, gals. <laughs> good
1: going, gals. So yeah, that's our <laughs> motto, of course. And so I think that's our episode. Wow. Yeah, they're doing. I I hope I hope they all win. Me too. Yeah. We'll see. I guess soon. No, it's scary. I need to go vote. Me too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> go uh, vote. Go I vote. Guess. Okay. So. Please rate, review, subscribe to us. We need more listeners. We want to get our, our message out if you like STEM ladies. Yeah. And thank you to Caitlin Friesen for our art and Artichoke for our theme music. And, and go, go stimulate, stimulate yourself. yourself. We did, we did it. it. I'm so that proud. By circa 1820,
0: she ran a fossil store. She put the bones together for the Kalanak and science was the province of man.